again as we come before you. You can begin to turn in God's Word. Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, and we'll begin the reading in verse 17. If it's been a while since you've been with us, let me preface by saying we're following the Apostle Paul and beginning to think about what our life is like as Christ followers. We looked at relationships and how they were so intimate. There was weeping and there was hugging and kissing. There was this level of real connection, not just attending church together, but living life together, intimate relationships. We also looked at self-sacrifice. But last week we understood that the Apostle Paul was prophetically warned and told, you're going to suffer. He said, so be it. I'm ready to die for the name of Jesus Christ. We applied these, of course, to some of the aspects in our church life and our calendar. We talked about graduates and how those graduating college and graduating high school impact our relationships. And last week, with Father's Day, we applied self-sacrifice, not just to all of us, but specifically to look at fathers and what it looks like to give your life. And today we look now at the role of devotion. The role of devotion, not being a mere Christian or a person who calls himself a Christian, but being a devout follower of Jesus. And so we read from Acts chapter 21 and beginning in verse 17. When we come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses, so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what you have been told about Jesus, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for both each and all. I know it's hard week by week to remember where we are in the Scripture. But as we teach God's Word a little bit more, it's important for us as teachers to convey where we are, but also important as learners, as disciples, to to come with a preparation. I'm going to give you a hint where the text is going to be next week. It's going to start where we leave off this week. So if you want to read ahead, if you want to be thinking ahead, if you want to be wondering, I wonder where this is going, 
you are now entering into what discipleship is. It's not just learning how to be a follower of Jesus, it's actually being a follower of Jesus. And Paul is, is held in high regard as a follower of Jesus. You recall we, we showed the map, he went all around this Mediterranean world and he really wanted to get back to his homeland, to Jerusalem. He wanted to get there, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. So he was hurrying. And what was his main goal other than to bring a gift that he had collected from all of those around the Mediterranean world? A financial gift. For anyone who says, it seems like the church is always interested in money. The church is interested in people because God's interested in people. And money is a means to express how to meet people's needs. And he takes this beautiful collection and he's going to bring it to Jerusalem and present it to who? The church. He's not going to hand it out on the street corners. He goes to the church leadership, James, and the elders meet him. And they greet him. They love him. They're like, this is great. And they hear all the reports about what God did, not among those who were Jewish of heritage and accepted Jesus as Messiah, but among those who were Gentile, non-Jewish people. They also now access to the living God through Jesus Christ. They were so excited. They all rejoiced. We should get excited when we hear testimonies of lives changed. We should get excited when we think of our own testimony, our own story of how God has met us and changing us continually. And they were thrilled. But you see, there was a little bit of a dilemma. They heard reports that Paul, while way out there in the Mediterranean world, while thousands of miles away, was telling people who were born Jewish, you no longer have to do the Jewish rites. Circumcision, following the law of Moses, none of that matters anymore. When in fact the Apostle Paul was not teaching that. He was clarifying it. He was putting it in the context of God's grace. But he wasn't going around saying, you no longer have to observe Judaism. He was explaining what it all meant to begin with. But the report had been out that now this man who was refuting the Jewish customs, it's like someone taking your family history and trying to rework it. This very man is now in Jerusalem. And they're saying, word is going to get out. We have to solve this problem of devotion, or at least how people perceive his devotion. Is the Apostle Paul a devout Jew? Is he devoted? In just a moment, we'll apply that to our culture. Let's understand these strange priests and kings, circumcision. they tell him to do is an action. But in so many ways, the way we prove our devotion is through our behavior, through our actions. It's not just words, but it's deeds. 1 John chapter 3 illuminates this. Little children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And they give him several actions. Number one, the Apostle Paul's got to take these four men as if there were just these four men in a room off to the side. These four men, we don't know their circumstance, but they needed to go to the temple 
and it's presumed that they had taken a vow, they had made a promise to God, and somewhere along the line had probably broken it. Has anyone ever made a promise to God and broken it? Yeah. And in God's grace in the New Testament, we simply go back to the Lord and say, Father, forgive me, I've sinned. Cover me again. Put me back on the path that leads to life. And he's gracious and welcoming, and that grace is here. But in the Jewish tradition, there was a physical custom that had to be observed. And you would go to the temple, and you would present yourself and say, you know what, I was in a vow, and I made a mistake, so now I've got to make that right. And they're going to make an offering of finance, pay some money. They're going to shave their head. They're going to do some things which show their devotion. They're going to let everyone around them know, I am following as hard as I can. I am sincere about this. I really want to show that I love God. And they say to the Apostle Paul, as a way to prove to everyone out there that you are still a devout Jew, would you do this for us? Take these four guys with you to the temple and enter into a vow with them and pay their dues. Now we're talking about giving money to cover someone else's fault. Can there be anything more Christianly when Jesus covers our sins? When we deserve to pay for our sin with our life, but he covers our sin. He pays. There's nothing more loving than picking up the tab, than saying, I want to cover your sin in this moment. And Paul enters into this with them. He goes to the temple, pays the money. He has to say, this is what it's for, this is what we're doing, and in seven days this will be complete. He is now showing what it looks like to be a devoted Jew. Let me ask you and I this question. What do we do to show that we're devoted Christians? What actions do we perform to proclaim, to show, to verify, to prove that we are devoted Christians? We can say certainly that, well, I love God. Okay, how do you love God? We actually use the phrase daily devotion to speak of our personal Bible reading and prayers. But here in North America, you could say to someone, have you had your devotions today? And for many, they would understand that that meant, have you spent time with our Lord in prayer, in worship, in reading of His Word? But of course, no one else here could verify if you had a personal devotion, could they? Unless they're sitting in your home or some sort of strange camera watching, which we don't condone. How then do we know? It's so obvious. The primary way is church. We come to church. I want to show my devotion by showing up on Sunday. I want to come to church and show that I'm a devoted follower. If not so that everyone else can see, because it really is a devotion. I want to gather with God's people. I believe coming to church means I'm a sincere Christian, so I'm going to be here on Sunday. Amen. As I mentioned several weeks ago, the climate is changing in North America. Unless we fall wayward in our practice of coming together on Sundays, let me refresh us. Coming together on Sundays is not about attendance. It's about participation. It's about offering praise as God's people. It's about offering our gifts that God has given to be used. 
unfortunately, the average number of Sundays that people are showing up is dropping. The quality of church and what we're offering is probably what it is. But the quality of dedicated participation is waning. There's an article written, and I put the entirety on Facebook, on our page if you want to read it, from Dan Ryland. He helps kind of pastors and tries to encourage them and give instruction, and he writes this about church attendance just recently, June the 9th. There's a big difference, he writes, between missing a Sunday and disconnecting from your church. Vacations, travel for work, and kids' sports schedules, that's part of life. But when part of life turns into a different life, it may be time to rethink your new trend and the possible results. A longtime friend and volunteer leader in his church had not attended in months. I asked him, what's going on? Did something upset you? He said, no, 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 I love my church. We just got busy. Started missing it here and there, and then, well, you know, it's just kind of easier not to go. Oh, and we watch online sometimes. We talked for a long time, had a great conversation. He concluded by saying, you know, I really don't have a good reason for no longer coming to church. I just got lazy. My family, and he has three kids, will start, will start coming again next week. And he writes, they did come. When it comes to church, I love this phrase, drift leads to distance, and distance leads to disconnection. Not showing up to church regularly leads to drift. We just start to gently part ways. And this drift, when it goes unattended, will eventually disconnect us from those in the body of Christ. The point of weekly worship, he writes, is not attendance, but participation in the body of Christ. Christianity was never designed to be an independent endeavor. God created us to be in relationship with Him and each other. He made us on purpose with a purpose. And we live that out best together. He lists five reasons why people are dogging church these days. Five reasons why people are saying it's really not that important. I don't want to give you all those five. I want you to go to the Facebook page and read it yourself. Part of the reason I don't want to give you the five is because you might say, oh yeah, I've been thinking about that. And it may give you cause for justification. You're here, so I thank you. I realize that I'm preaching to the choir. But what I want to say to you is keep coming to church, not because I need you, but because God calls us into himself. He's the head and we're the body. I just talked with someone this week. I asked about their faith practice. They said, oh, I practice faith in Jesus. I love him deeply. And without me asking, they confessed, but I don't go to church. I mean, how in the world... Can you love Jesus the head, but don't connect with his body? What are we, the headless horsemen? It doesn't even make logical sense. You have to be seeing the reality. If we are a Christ follower, if we're in Christ, if he's alive in us, then we are automatically attached to the body. Now it's a question of how distant we want that relationship to be. Or how close we want that relationship to be. And the Apostle Paul is right on this fine line of accepting Jesus Christ and wanting to live for Him. And meanwhile, there's plenty of people who want to tell him what that devotion should look like. What I love about the Apostle Paul is that he loves the church. And he even loves the Jewish church. 
And he says, fine, Pastor James, I'm going to do what you say. And he goes and does it. But as you recall, there was a prophecy. And it will not go well with the Apostle Paul. So let's pick up the reading in Acts 21 and verse 27. Acts 21 and verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. That means they physically assaulted him. This is what happens now. They crying out, men of Israel, help this man. This is the man who's teaching everywhere and everyone against the people and the law of this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple at once, shut the gates. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. They're questioning his piety, his devotion, and they're saying, you have not lived up to our expectation. I just want to say this to the body of Christ. I rarely can live up to the expectation of others. But there is one named Jesus who sets the standard. And our goal should be to live for him and live in his expectations for us. And so in this case, the people had it wrong and they're going to take matters into their own hands. And God uses the Roman centurion to come over and to grab Paul out of this fray. And yes, puts him in chains, just as Ananias had prophesied. Here is the Apostle Paul trying to do what is right to show everyone, I believe in God and I don't want to cause offense. And they want to kill him nonetheless. We'll learn at the end of this whole passage why they're really upset at him. But for now, thank God that he appointed people in law enforcement to come. And they pull Paul out of the fray. Then he asks something strange. Look, before you take me away, can I talk to the people? Remember, the question at hand is, is Paul devout? Can we really say he's a follower? And he says, I want to tell my story. I want to tell my testimony, and I want to encourage each one of you. You and I may not have all the answers, but we all have a story. Paul tells a story. If there's one thing that proves whether we're a follower of Jesus Christ, it just begins with our story. Let's read this story, beginning in chapter 22, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more zealous. He said, I am a Jew born of Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you there for a minute. What's he doing? He's finding the connection points with people. He's helping them understand, I'm of you. I, sure, I was born in that other city, but I was raised here. I, 
I'm speaking the language that we all know, not the one of the world. And I'm telling you who I was trained under. He's giving his bona fides. He's saying, this is who I really am. And you know who I am. And I'm zealous for God. And then he encourages them saying, just like all of you. In other words, he realizes that the people trying to kill him are thinking they're doing the right thing. Paul can understand this because he once did the same. Listen to what he says. I persecuted this way, verse 4, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take also those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. He's saying, what you're doing to me, I've already been there and done that. I used to live this exact way. I get it. I get it. I understand. And now he tells his personal encounter with Jesus. And again, how can you close up? This world needs to hear your story of your personal encounter with Jesus. As I was on my way, verse 6, and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? The Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. And standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And He said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on me. They're wondering if Paul was devout. And now he uses that very word. Let me tell you my story. There was a time when I was persecuting all people who followed the way of Jesus Christ. But on the way to persecute the city of Damascus, Jesus himself met me on the road. And the light was so holy and bright, I was unable to see. I was led by the hand into the city. And there, God sent a devout man who did what? A devout man according to the law. He's letting them know, you may not think I obey the law, But in God's providence, he sent Ananias. Maybe you can believe him. He obeyed the law. And he was well spoken of by everyone. He came to lay hands on him. He's letting them know, look, you may not like where I'm at. You may not like me. But God, he had a plan and it involved devoted Ananias. And I ask ourselves again, what would it look like if we were devout? What would it look like if we were well-spoken of? 
What would it look like if people around us would say, I was really a follower of Jesus? How would they react to that? What qualities would they be looking for? And a little bit of a look into Ananias and we get the answer that we can take a hold of in our lives. What do we see from Ananias? We see, first of all, that he is a man who loves God's law. He loves God's word. He wants to obey the word. Our personal devotional life is so critical to being a public we recognize the God follower. It all starts in private and then moves publicly. The Ananias is willing to go. Let's look to Acts chapter 9 and we'll see what happens in his personal private prayer devotional life. I'm praying these things will happen in our lives. I'm praying that this church, you, me, the men and women here, will be useful as devoted followers of Jesus. This is where we hear of the details of Ananias and his encounter with Saul. Let's look at chapter 9 of the book of Acts and verse 10. Acts 9 and verse 10. Now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him, so that he might redeem his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard for many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority by the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me, so that you may redeem your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Ananias, in his devotion, questions the Lord. I want to just make sure we understand. The Lord for all his devoted followers, will give instructions. He will speak. We shared on this with Abraham at the beginning of the year. The Lord will speak, and he's speaking now to Ananias. And Ananias, wait a minute. just want to be clear. You're telling me to go to this street, this house, talk to this man, but I've heard a lot about this man. As a matter of fact, God, in case you didn't know, he's the one killing all of us. You're sure you want me to go to this man? You sure you want me to go to this man? In the original language, this this word that we're translating, devout, it means to hold fast, to take hold of it well, to carefully and surely take it. I think that's what he's doing. He's not arguing with the Lord. He's saying, Lord, I want to make sure that I can hold on to this command well. Do I really understand you? You're going to find in life when the Lord begins to speak to you about doing things. As devoted followers, He will. You'll want to bounce this off of someone. 
you'll want to ask of the Lord, Lord, just to clarify, am I hearing you correctly? And there's sometimes where the issues of life are so cloudy and our mind may be full of so many things, you might want to ask someone you love and trust. Here's what I believe the Lord is saying to me. Does this make sense? Am I hearing correctly? He's looking for that feedback because he wants to be devoted to what the Lord says. He doesn't want to be halfway going to the street called straight and then second guess. Devoted people can guess, they can work it out on the front end, but then the second guessing has no place. He explains this to the Lord. The Lord says, go, for I've appointed this man to do something. And Ananias careful to hear from the Lord correctly. He was committed to go. And can I give you another word that begins with C? He was calm. Let me put it this way. He was filled with peace. Can you imagine coming into that room and laying hands on the murderer to see that he'd set free in Jesus' name? Do you think your hand would be calm or do you think it would be trembling? How do you think you walk into that room? You loading up with some pocket knives and, and, and weaponry in case things go bad. You're taking a bodyguard with you. For some of us, I don't even want to go anywhere near that guy, let alone that house. And, and there's a sense, what I'm saying is that when we're under the devotion of God, when we're walking in the devotion of God, we can be calm. And this is what it says back in Acts 22, that Ananias goes in and stands by him. You ever been around a godly person? come near, they look at you, they embrace you, they stand near you, and they say, I'm a God's witness that what you need to do is done. There's evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. I'm using the word calm, but it's peace. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. These are the fruits of the Spirit. They're evident. Love. self-control against these things there's no law. What I want to submit to you and what I'm going to ask you to embrace. I know this is a difficult message. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to think about. Maybe maybe grace me. Pharisee, are you a devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Most likely you say yes. And if I ask you why are you a devoted follower? What makes you a devoted follower? Most of us would struggle to know. church, if we answer that way, it wouldn't be a bad answer, but let's just go a little deeper. Let's just move a little deeper. And now let's look at it from a different angle. What would others say about you if they said, you're a devoted follower of Jesus? How do you think they would describe you? I say, they would use words like this, you're so filled with joy. The quality of joy looking not at our church attendance. They're looking at the quality of the fruit in your life. They're wondering if we are truly 
followers of Jesus, and the only way they know is by love, joy, and peace. Love that Ananias seemingly, once he gets that command from the Lord, he walks out. He's not fearing for his life. He's not trembling or shaking. He's not standing at the door handle wondering if he should go through. He goes in and he stands and he says, Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me. He's confident. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. He doesn't lecture Saul on all the people he killed. He doesn't give Saul a riot act. He's kind. He's good. What I'm asking us is to consider the quality of our Christian life so that the world could look in as they did at Ananias and say, here's someone who is faithful. And the prayer that we can pray simply is, Lord, increase my love. Fill me with your spirit so that I may show peace to others, so that I may be faithful, so that I may be faithful. I asked my wife, are there any other uh, examples in the Bible, particularly female examples of someone who is devoted. I think it's so important that I'll, I'll do my best to try to give male examples and female because right now in our world, if you haven't noticed, we're very gender confused. We're very gender confused. And it's important, men, that you have men or male role models. And ladies and women, it's important that you have female role models. It's important that you seek out women in the Bible that show forth devotion. And right away, my wife says, oh, of course, yeah, Ruth. She's like, Ruth, man, Ruth. Ruth is a fantastic book to read. Men, you'll like reading Ruth as well. It's only four chapters. It'll take you ten minutes. What a beautiful story of devotion. To just paraphrase it as we come to a close, here's a, a woman who loses everything. I mean, devotion is not about being on top. Devotion is about who you really value in life. And she loses her husband, and, and now she's left with her mother-in-law and her sister-in-law. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, says, look, go back. Go back to your people. Go back. You don't have to follow me. You don't have to care for me. It'll, I'll manage. It's okay. Go. Be blessed. Have a, a future. And she says, no. And she clung. She grabbed a hold and said, I'm not letting go. Think of her devotion. Think of the woman with her tears washing the feet of Jesus, using her hair. This is devotion. It's holding on to what is true. No, no, no. You can, you, you, seriously, you can go. You can go back to the Moabites. Go back, go back. No. Your people will become my people. Your land will become my land. Your God will become my God. That's commitment. That's commitment when we say, I really have left my former life. You want to know what devoted following looks like? It looks like we're heading into this new life with God. And we've left behind former things. And behold, all things are being made new. And we're walking forward. And our trajectory is forward. And we're excited about what God has next. And we're human, so there's times where I just want to recognize we're tempted. We're like, but it wasn't so great back then. And I, and I miss those friends. And remember, I used to go out to those clubs, and that was so much fun. I was doing my thing. I got my dance on. And, you know, whoo. 
And we, we think on that. And that, I just want to remind you, we're turning from those things. And we're moving ahead. My God. She's got this very calm spirit about her. And she's told to wake up in the morning and go glean the field. You talk about humility. It's not even working as a sharecropper. You have to go behind all the other people picking the wheat and the barley and just take the crumbs. And she humbly, calmly goes about that work such that people took notice of her immediately. The man who owned the field happened to be story she's told by her mother-in-law. This man, it's God's providence that brought him to his field at this time. And see, when you're devoted follower of Jesus, he aligns everything. He makes your path straight. He orders your steps. He puts things in order. And you recall the words of Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added. That's devotion. Seek first the kingdom. You want to be a devoted follower of Jesus? Put Jesus first. Don't make church attendance the last thing that you could do on a weekend. Oh, if nothing else works out, you know, I was going to go to the beach, I was going to go here, but, you know, I guess I'll go to church. That's not seeking first. It works the other way. I prioritize my life around God first because then He organizes the rest. And He organizes does organize it for Ruth. And she calmly follows the instruction of Naomi and she goes to see Boaz in the middle of the night, but not in an illicit or immoral way. She goes and lays at his feet and gently lifts up the cover of his robe. And it was a, a beginning of God's working that this man, Boaz, would cover her and would cover this He would cover that. And he paid for all that was needed for her family to be restored. And you realize that Jesus was born in the home. devotion. And we thank you for the example of Hannah Meyer 
a week, we thank you for the devotion, Lord, that you have shown us, Jesus, that you are our kinsman redeemer. You are passionately pursuing the will of the Father, even though it costs you everything. We thank you for showing us how to take the will of the Father to heart. We ask now for the grace to do that. Teach us, Holy Spirit, how to be devoted fathers. And may those in our world, in our circle of friends, may they see our devotion by seeing the fruit of your Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and all the rest may they abound. Lord, we go from this place, Lord, but not from this place. We go from this place and enter into the fellowship of the Spirit in the Christian Life Center. We enter into a missions dinner and fellowship one with another. May those fruits be evident there. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our pastoral care team is always here at the front. What I want to say as we close and dismiss you is if anyone is here and you can't be a devoted follower of Jesus yet because you haven't yet given your life to Jesus, I want to meet you right there. So we're going to dismiss, and if you want to give your life to Jesus, you say, I want to become a follower. I want to learn how to have new life. Everything you've talked about, I want to receive. I'm going to invite you before you leave your seat and be right down here so we can pray together. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Lord, we go in that grace now. We pray that some will be saved, and we praise you for all who are. May we walk in that devotion in Jesus' name.